things that I will die for, I will risk my life for. And it is the inerrancy of Scripture. It is the absolute uh, mingling of God and man in the person of Jesus Christ, that he's 200% God and man mingled as one. That he died for our sins. He was crucified and buried. And three days later, he truly rose from the dead. He gives effervescent life now to everyone who comes to him by faith. And that's, those are non-negotiables. Amen? Yes. Presbyterians, is, can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. But yet, there are other things I've had to continually let go. Uh, you know, I used to teach that tongues was of the devil. And I taught it for years. I, I was a hyper-dispensational cessationist. Please don't try to figure that out. But I was one. And I had my charts. Of the, you know, I had the second coming all figured out. I had all the ages. I mean, dude, I was like trying to be the, the Bible answer guy, you know. And, and the more and more I realized I don't know anything. And then after an angel visited me in the jungle, I began a pursuit of Holy Spirit. Espiritu Santo is now my best friend. I love Holy Spirit. Is that okay? Jesus is not jealous. He told me he's okay if two best friends is all right. But that supernatural event, which was so dramatic and, and was proven to be God, that it, it pushed me out of my you know, gifts are not for today, the miraculous is not for today, and, you know, when John croaked on Patmos, or John croaked in Ephesus, that there's no more sign gifts, as we called them. But then the Holy Spirit came upon me. I immediately began to have prophecy bubble up. I had visions. I saw angels and demons. I, I, I walked into a zone of Holy Spirit that I was totally, in my Baptist upbringing, totally not comfortable with, but yet I knew it was God because the fruit of righteousness was in it. But I didn't have tongues. I said, Lord, what's with that? I thought, you, you get the fullness of the Holy Spirit and you bubble up and you speak in tongues. He said to me, how long did you teach tongues were of the devil? I said, 10 years. He said, you will wait 10 years before you have that gift. I did. I waited 10 years. Be careful, little lips, what you speak when it comes to Holy Spirit. Be careful, know-it-alls, what you think about things that you're going to have to adjust in the coming season. It's a new season it's new wine, not just the wineskin. We got the dudes trying to do the wineskin without the wine, and it's no worky. What we need is new wine of intimacy, of the love of Jesus. And the scripture I have for, one of the scriptures I want to share this weekend about the season we're in is, uh, it says in Amos 9.1.1, Amos 9.11, Amos 9.1.1 says, in that day, everybody say, that's today. Whenever you find the phrase, in that day, it's speaking, you claim it, it's right now. In that day, I will restore David's fallen tabernacle. I will repair its broken walls. I'll restore its ruins. I will rebuild it as it used to be. Folks, there's no verse in the Bible that says the temple's going to be rebuilt. 
No verse whatsoever. It, it is a, it's not going to happen. And if it does, God will not be in it. Because he doesn't dwell in buildings made with hands. And the, he did a really good job of destroying the second one. Herod's temple. He did a great job of wrecking it. Have you been to Israel? You're going to come with me later this year. I got six seats left if you want to come this October. <coughs> Jim and Mary. <coughs> but the temple is not going to be rebuilt. The, the covenant, the old covenant has been superseded as Pastor Jim mentioned by the superior covenant there is a temple being rebuilt, but it's in front of me right now. It's sitting in your chair. We are that temple of Ezekiel that is going to be rebuilt. And to prove it, the river that flowed out of Ezekiel's temple, it was measured. What was the first measurement of that river as it came out of the threshold? How deep was it? Wow, you Episcopalians are really quiet here. You don't remember? It was ankle deep. The, the measuring man measured the depth of the river coming out of the threshold of Ezekiel's temple. And it was ankle deep, then it was waist deep. I'm sorry, ankle deep, then knee deep. And then waist or womb deep. And then over our heads, deep enough to swim in. That's where the river is going. But to prove to you that Ezekiel's temple is now being rebuilt, the first miracle of the book of Acts was at the temple gate, beautiful, and the man was healed where? Ankle deep. Ankle deep. The river poured through them. We are carriers of the glory. We carry like Mary the Christ divine. We carry a treasure not known on this planet. The very seed of God, sperma, boys and girls, John writes, the sperma of God is in us. That's DNA. So we carry, like Mary, the Christ within. You okay with that? And this river that pours through us, did not Jesus say, out of your innermost being will flow rivers? Take a drink, it becomes rivers, plural. A drink becomes a river when Jesus comes inside. So this temple of Ezekiel is being reestablished. It is the fallen tabernacle of David. God is not going to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem. He's rebuilding a glorious, more glorious temple of Jew and Gentile that come to faith in Yeshua, in the Lord Jesus. And we are that temple. You guys all right with that? By the way, I found the ark. It's in your chair, sitting right there with your shoes on. The ark of glory has now transferred inside the human soul. We carry the divine, the holy of holies is now within us. There is a nous in a OS, nous, the Greek word, the, there's a sanctuary in us. There's a temple in us. The sanctuary divine is where the holy of holies is. And there is that ark of glory. His name is Jesus Christ. He is within us. Christ in me, not Christ in heaven. Christ in me is the hope of glory. Not Christ when I get to heaven. Stop doing that. You need a new heaven and a new earth. The one you have isn't working that great. But when you get a new heaven, a new earth, and you realize heaven has moved from a location to a relationship, and that we are carrying the presence of God, we become that ark. Because inside of us are the same three things inside the ark. 
guys all right here in this Lutheran church? The first is the golden jar of manna. The golden jar of manna. What is it? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what manna means. What is it? It's mystery. Inside of you is a golden jar of mystery. It's wonder bread. It makes you wonder. Inside of us, there is the mysteries of God. 27 times the New Testament uses the word mysterion, mystery. There are 27 mysteries of the New Testament. We carry the Christ, this glorious union of God and man is now in us. The golden jar is your soul redeemed by blood. You're a vessel of honor, and within you, you carry the mystery wonder of Christ within. The second is Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron was the priest, so are you. And this dead stick passed from death to life, and so have you. And now the fruit, fruit, fruit of Christ is within you, and you carry the priestly rod of authority because you've passed from the grave to the sky. Aaron's rod that budded is that priestly symbol of your glory that you carry. And the third is the tablets of the law. Where is it now written? Yeah, everything about the ark is now you. You're wood and gold and sprinkled with blood and overshadowed by angels and crowned with glory. And, and you, you commune with God right inside your soul, not in a building. Wow. It's so beautiful what he's given to us what we have in Christ. So the Reformation is underway, and it's a theological Reformation. It's, it's like getting a brand new Bible, if I could say it this way. And, uh, and you guys heard of the first Reformation, like Martin Luther? Well, what you may not know is it precedes Martin Luther by a few hundred years, actually. The, the Reformation, as it's called, was sparked by a Bible translation. It was John Wycliffe who unchained the Bible from the pulpit. It was chained to the Bible, and only educated clergy could ever read it because it was in Latin. Wycliffe said no, and he unchained, unchained my heart, and he brought the Word of God into the English vernacular of the common man, and people began to read it for themselves, and they looked at the Bible, and then they looked at what was happening in the church, and they said, that isn't right. And then a hundred years later, a priest by the name of Jan Hus, H-U-S, he took that Reformation Bible, John Wycliffe's work, he took that, and Wycliffe was the spark, but Hus became the torch. Jan Hus became a torch, and you can Google this, but he actually sparked a war, like thousands of people killed because they believed the Bible. And the Catholic Church waged the Hussite War, it was known as. And it was because of people believing the Word of God. How about you? How much, how much of the book do you believe? Man, I, I'm like indexed to maps. I, I'm total. Like, I've eaten the scroll. But then the bonfire of Reformation was Martin Luther. But you know, Luther, in spite of the 95 reasons why the church shouldn't be our supreme authority, that Christ is our authority, and we come to him. We don't come through a priest or through a sacrament. We come directly by blood and spirit to Jesus Christ. Beyond those 95 reasons, 
there is more God wants to do in the church today. I mean, the guy had some anti-Jewish issues that surfaced. He had other doctrinal issues that surfaced. And none of us have it all straight. I understand that. I get it totally. But God is going to finish what he began 500 years ago. And may it be that a, a Bible translation helps spark and becomes fuel for that. A God-drenched people are about to walk the earth. Holy lovers of God with a total new concept of church, of Christianity, you know, of life itself and, and our communion with God. Everything you know is about to change. It's a new season. And God wants to bring you. He wants to woo you like a, like a bridegroom would dance with his bride into this new season. Not drag you by the hair, caveman style. But to bring you into this fresh, effervescent, always joyful, always peaceful. Like way beyond what you've ever experienced relationship with Jesus. It's intimacy. Mm, way past anything we've known before. It's being sucked right into the Godhead. How did you get there? Father, Son, and Spirit, and... Uh, wait a second. Father, Son, Spirit, and... How did you get there? Well, I'm one with Jesus. What? Uh, no, you, you gotta... That, that's wrong. You gotta get back and crawl like a rotten worm on the ground and grovel and humble yourself and have a repentathon for 10 more years. No. That that's, couldn't be old, old school. I mean, some of these solemn assemblies need the joy of the Lord to come back into them. You say, well, isn't there a place for repentance? Absolutely there's a place for repentance. But isn't there a place for joy? Is would be my response. Isn't there a place for like ecstatic intimacy where we dance all night till the stars fade. So this reformation is beginning. And I believe God is calling this church and this house into a new season. And along with a new season comes a new assignment. Ah, that's where it gets dicey. I kind of like the old one. Kind of boring, but I like it. I'm... I'm Finding myself somewhat comfortable in status quo. No, God never called you for status quo Christianity. That went out with 90s, dude. Totally. He's called you into a new season with a new assignment. You say, well, what is that new assignment? Ah, that's why you're here this weekend. I'm going to help you find that. And answers that you've been asking are going to come to you. Do you know there's a verse in the Bible? Uh, there's a scripture where Zechariah the priest was in the offering incense, Luke chapter 1, okay? Uh, the father of John the Baptist, and Gabe, uh, Gabriel pops up in the holy place. Here he is right in front of Zechariah. And he says, God has answered prayers you don't even pray anymore. God has come to answer the prayer that you gave up on and don't even pray anymore. But God remembered, and the Greek tense of that verb, that God has, has remembered and heard and is coming to answer, is, implies, uh, if not explicitly, that these are prayers you stop praying. I mean, come on, you're praying for a kid and you're like, 
your wife's on a walker and you're praying for kids, I'd probably stop praying that too. I mean, they, they were like geriatric. I mean, they, they were just not youngsters. Don't make me make this explicit. <laughs> Work with me. So the angel says, I'm going to come sent by God. God is going to answer what you've forgotten about. That's going to happen to you this weekend. God's going to breathe on some of your destiny and some of your identity deals and issues that, that you've forgotten, that he called you years ago to do these things, and it's going to start happening now. That's why I've come. I mean, I'm a totally Song of Songs guy, and that's what I'd probably love to teach if it was me, but I'm under a commission this weekend to teach you some things about one of the greatest reformers in all the Bible. Hey, good to see you. you did you fly over here from, uh, did you fly all the way over here to be with me? Is that true? Helly, how are you? Estonia, is that where you live? Where? <laughs> go to heaven. Just go to heaven. She flew from Europe to come over here. Yeah. She went to Israel with us, and we saw miracles there. We had two, we had uh, a, a lady with, uh, M, was it MS? MS, yeah. We baptized them in the Jordan, and she came up absolutely doctor-verified, healed. Now do you want to come to Israel with us? Good to see you, Heli. And Connie, good to see you. We have some of our ministry partners that are here with us. Oh, I was supposed to announce, totally forgot. I was supposed to announce. How, how come you didn't hold up a card or something? Okay, I'm supposed to announce. This is Tiffany, by the way. And Diana, they are part of our ministry team that, that flew here to be with us. But I'm supposed to announce we're having a lunch tomorrow. If you'd like to be a partner to our ministry, or you already are, we have a number of you that are here already, uh, or you just want to come because you're hungry and listen to me talk some more, then come tomorrow at lunch. But you need to go to the book table and sign up. It's only $1,000. No, um, whatever it is. I don't even know what it is. But we got lunch provided for you if you want to stay tomorrow after lunch. Okay. So the great reformer of the Bible, it'll probably surprise you. Paul, Paul's name is mentioned 160, it's not Paul. Paul's name is mentioned 163 times in the New Testament. That's quite a bit. The man I'm about to talk to you about is mentioned 1,023 times in the Word of God. His name is David. The greatest reformer was a, a young boy whose name was David. We're going to talk about him this weekend. I read about the tabernacle of David. It's David's tent that's being rebuilt. And I know IHOP's got, got you know, they don't have the patent on that, guys. Okay? I don't mean anything disparaging about that because I'm a friend of Mike's. I've been there and we've ministered together and I'm totally, I get it, totally. But, God's going to breathe on it in a new way. It doesn't have to look like KC. It can be a total different expression, more like Columbus, what God's doing right here. But God is going to breathe again a new fresh wind upon David's tabernacle. Would you like to learn a little bit about David's tabernacle? That's why you're going to come tomorrow. But I want to introduce him to you. I don't have that much time, so I, I, I got a lot I'd like to unwrap but David, first of all, 
you know how old he was when he killed the, the, the Terminator, the nine-foot guy? Do you know how old David was when he killed Goliath? Fifteen. That means he was anointed king. Fourteen, thirteen. One scholar even is pushing the idea that he was twelve when Samuel came and anointed him king. This was just a young man who, who got a brand new identity. His real start was not killing a giant. It was taking care of his father's flock. It was caring for another man's issue. And serving with, with um, you know, I kind of look at David like a male Cinderella, that his seven brothers had no affection, literally, virtually no affection for David. And it's believed that David was not even the same, uh, had the same mother as the other seven bros. That Jesse had an affair with a handmaiden and conceived, and David, the youngest, was born. That's, uh, among Jewish rabbinical thought, that's, like, everybody knows that. But the church, the, the Christian church, goes, what? But David was rejected by his family. Some of you have walked through that. So if you've been rejected, you're on the path to being a reformer. All right? And David had his oldest brother was Eliab, who was probably handsome, striking, and presumed to be, as a firstborn, he was presumed by Samuel to be the one that he would anoint as king. Do you remember the story, guys, that Saul, the anointing lifted off of King Saul because of his heart was not right with God? He started out humble but ended up very prideful. That'll always ruin the anointing. And God, as it were, lifted his hand off of Saul, and he became tormented. He became demonized. The guy was, like, had issues. And instead, God told Samuel, fill the, the horn, fill the ram's horn with oil, and you go to uh, Bethlehem and go to the house of Jesse, and I will show you who the next king will be. So Samuel goes... And the people at Bethlehem go out to meet him as he comes into the city because they're afraid that Samuel was coming to pronounce judgment or something. And Samuel, God actually told him to trick him. He said, take, uh, uh, you know, take a calf with you and, and just tell them you're coming to make a sacrifice so that they won't know what's going on. So God helped Samuel hide what he was there to do. And he came into the house, and all of Jesse's boys lined up. Eliab was the tallest, and, and you could probably just kind of like see the, them shrink down in, in size and age. But the Lord said to Samuel, he's not the one. The tallest, the best looking, the celebrity, they're not the ones. They're going to bring reformation. It's going to be the forgotten sons and daughters, a generation that has been left out. They're the ones God's going to anoint. Third-day millennial warriors are going to rise up with such a grace and power. I get every boomer mad at me when I prophesy over the millennials. What God's going to do in and through them is so powerful. But every David will have 
the intimidation of an Eliab. God has put somebody more anointed, more whatever than you are, purposely to bring out your insecurity. That's the plan of God, to raise up a king. He will work through the clay, so to speak, to get every lump and every hard thing out of that. And he will, he will purposely put you around people more anointed and special than you are, at least in your mind, to pull out that insecurity and face it. God put that Eliab next to you. So none of the seven bros were the ones, remember? And Samuel said what the Spirit of the Lord is saying in this day. Do you have another son? Is there not another son? Is there not another son? Is there somebody, you'll get this, is there somebody that's going to look like Jesus? Is there not another son? He's the firstborn of many. He brings many sons, not to therapy, but to glory. Is there not another son? God loves the son so much, he's going to fill the earth with people just like him. Do you have another son? Oh, well, Davey, I mean, like, the stepkid, he's out there with the sheep. Samuel said, I will not even sit down until you bring him. Could have been an hour, more. Samuel's waiting until finally David comes in, not knowing what's up. No sooner does he come in the door, God says, that's the one. Oil pouring all over his head. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon 12, 13, maybe 14-year-old boy. The Spirit of the Lord came on him. And David went back and took care of sheep. Dude, if it was me, I'd start a web page. Uh, I'd have, like, marketing team, social media. We'd live stream it. We'd do something to get this word out. I got anointed as king. David shows you the heart of this man. He went back. Even though he was not esteemed, and he served his father and his brothers. And during that time, he killed a lion and a bear. It's awesome. You ever done that? Is that on your resume? Uh, it doesn't say that they came after David. It says David chased them down because they were bothering the sheep. David went to the lion and slapped that lamb right out of his mouth. This is pre-Goliath. What a kid. What a man is God raising up in this generation. A generation that will, will not fear Saul's kingdom. Saul is a picture of the controlling church structure that always throws jealous spears at the young anointed ones that rise up under them. Ten more years under my covering and we'll think about letting you do something. That's a Saul spirit. And we're transitioning from Saul to David. And the David anointing is going to come upon you. Young or old. I mean, dude, I'm just a millennial with a bald spot. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon us. And we're going to do things you never thought you'd do. 
You know, I, I grew up, uh, any, any second born here? I, I was a second born in my family. You know, you get all the insecurities and the try to prove yourself and all the, the stuff that goes with being a second born. My, my oldest brother, my older brother, um, he, uh, he was such a big, buff, strong, athletic football guy. And, I mean, girls chase. He was just a wonderful, wonderful guy. He ended up going to Vietnam and a hero to me in every way. He's now in heaven. But, you know, I, I, I looked and I, I looked at him and, and I looked at my, at, at, believe it or not, at that time, scrawny body. And, and I knew I could never compete. I mean, he was stud, okay. And then my brother, younger than me, the guy was like a genius. He didn't just get A's. He like graduated with four point, I couldn't believe how many points, high school. His room was the wall of his room, like we have the Wailing Wall and we have Testimony. The wall of his room was grade cards from kindergarten to high school with not one grade less than A+. plus. The guy was like a walking library. So here I am. I said, ah, I'm just going to smoke pot and do drugs. I can't, I can't, I mean, I played football until I got hurt. I go, man, those guys hurt. I was a little tall. I, I shoot a few baskets, but I wasn't 18. I said, ah, I'll just, I'm 16, 15. I said, ah, I'm just going to go find my stuff some other place. And I realize now, looking back, that identity really is shaped at times by our family. And I think David, believe it or not, had some identity issues. Do you know that there's a verse where it says that David uh, had already, he'd already killed Goliath. He'd already been crowned king by his brothers at Hebron. David had three anointings. So after the second anointing at Hebron, it was after that that David said he perceived that he was king. What? I mean, Samuel had anointed him. He killed lion and a bear and a Goliath. The men of Judah had rallied around him and, and crowned him as king of their of one twelfth of Israel. And he says, then it says David perceived, he finally understood that he was king. You know, it's easier to kill a giant than to know that you're a king. You know, faith could kill a giant, but identity keeps you secure no matter what is around you. And it's good we kill giants, but God wants to bring you to a place of such a supernatural revelation of who God has made you to be and that you, He would never give you a job to have you fail in it. He would never, God never sends you to fail. If He sends you, done. I mean, I'm 30. I, my wife is pregnant. We go into the jungle. I'd never been in the jungle before. I mean, I like air conditioner. I, I, to this day, I bless the man who created air conditioner. I think his name was Carrier. You can Google it, but God bless that man. May, may he rest in peace and may glory be upon him. I mean, it's 100 and silly degrees, and I, I, I mean, I had migraine headaches, and I tried to decipher a language I'd never learned. 
And I, I just wanted to give up. I said, God, there's better linguists than me. There's sharper bulbs and sharper tools in your toolbox. I mean, why did you say that second child thing started to rise up in me, you know, this weakness. I said, God, I, I feel so weak. And the Lord said, well, what if you're more useful to me weak? What if I leave you that way so that my strength comes through you? I said, whatever, God. <laughs> if, that, if that's what it takes. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe to this day. I pinched myself over seeing the miracles. Most of all, with the hearts of men coming to know Jesus uh, the first generation Christians from creation till now of that tribal group that had come to faith in Yeshua, in Jesus, Pabmachi, as they called him. Then we go to New England. God sent us there. I mean, dude, sent us right near Yale University. And I had a, I never forget the pastor mega church pastor, one of the few that was in New England. He, he heard I'd come, and he called me up, and I met with him, and he said, you know, don't even try to start a church like what you're going to, because you're, you're one of those, right? I said, you mean Holy Spirit people? He said, yeah. You're one of those. I said, yeah, guilty. He said, well, that kind of church won't fly here. We're, we're, you've got to preach to their heart, their intellect. You've got to really preach. I said, well, what if Holy Spirit just falls on everybody? And what I saw in the jungle happens here. Well, it happened. Espiritu Santo came. We had bodies on the floor. We, you could not even get into the building for a while because of the bodies in the atrium, in the foyer. You had to step over. We had people falling in the spirit in the parking lot and neighbors look out their windows and call the police, 911. Bring hazmat. We've got a chemical. We've got a toxic spill out here. Bodies are all over the parking lot of this church. Cops come. You know, we had signs and wonders. Had, oh, had miracles that happened. It grew to 2,500 people. That's where churches, you can't, you can't do one of those kind of churches here. So many times I said, God, I've never pastored a church this big. I mean, I, I, I would tell our congregation, I've never pastored a church this big. Oh, that's cute, Pastor Brian. They'd laugh. Ah. I said, no, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. You know, if they really knew how much I didn't know, I, I was shocked anybody came on Sunday. You know, some pastors get all insecure if, if people are gone on vacation and it's summer and you don't have a... Dude, I, I was just thrilled anybody came. And they kept coming, traffic jams, all the toilets stopped up with nursery, so many babies and kids and, uh, you know, no parking and all the issues. Uh, who, who are we going to hire? Are we going to have to hire another three or four or five people just to help us? Had all that kind of stuff. I'm going, God, I feel so weak. He said, remember? Oh, that's right. You're going to leave me that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we get this commission to translate the Bible. I said, God, you're kidding me. I mean, there's, there's so many more brilliant scholarly people out there. And he, he said, well, that's why I chose you, because they're missing me. 
they're interpreting the word out of their intellect. He says, I want you to translate the Bible out of my heart. I want you to call it the passion. And people's hearts are going to burn, and you're going to get a lot of persecution. But people's hearts are going to burn, but you're going to get a lot of persecution. I said, okay, as long as you're with me, God. So I'm standing in front of you very weak. Is that okay? you got a weak speaker. I may have to sit down. I'm so weak. But I, I just identify with David. So many times it says he encouraged his heart in the Lord. Can you come to that place where you stop trying to find your encouragement somewhere else? And you find it in the Lord? Because what will happen, if you don't, he will eliminate all those other people and things until that's all you have. God plus nothing. A God plus nothing place for you to live in. And he will be that strength and that encouragement to you. So David, David's name, if I were to ask you what David's name means, you'd probably say beloved, and that's sweet, that's cute, that's really good, and it's semi-accurate. But David, the, the Hebrew word, comes from a root word. It's a triliteral consonant root called dodi or dodi, and that means to boil over. It's a pot boiling over. So David's name and David's character and David's life was like passionate. And I would define the name David as passionate. And please remember, he's the one man in the Bible that's called the one after God's heart. So there's something about the heart of this man that God attached himself to and God put his wraparound glory around David and David was a prophet. He was a, a priest. He danced in front of the ark, remember, with the linen garments? Don't say he danced in his underwear. Do not, please. No, no. It was not his underwear. It was the linen garments of a priest, the ephod. He was dancing as a priest before the ark. Kings don't do this. Don't wear the. And David understood a thousand years before this priestly teaching that we now are believer priests, we're kings and priests, David got it long before any of us ever got it. And he was a king. He was a prophet, a priest, and a king. Isn't it interesting that David becomes a picture of the son of David? That by looking at David's life, we see through him like an aquarium. We see through and we see the Lord Jesus, the true passionate man of heaven, the beloved, the king, the prophet, priest, and king. And Jesus was born in the city of David. He sits on the throne of David. He has the horn of David, and he gives us the key of David. So Jesus himself, son of David, Son of David was his messianic title. So Jesus mingled himself with the identity of David. Or better said, David becomes a prototype or a picture of the fulfillment that Jesus would be. So it's my desire to leave this weekend with you having a fresh appreciation of the one man in the Bible that we know more about than Moses, Abraham, Jacob combined times 10. And that doesn't even count the 75 psalms he wrote, where we get a glimpse into his emotional heart, the passion that would experience tears and pain and 
and sorrow and yet ecstatic, like let everything that has breath praise him. There, there was such a, a vent with David that vented the heart of God. He frees me to be an emotional man. I'm glad when I discovered David in the Bible because I went to Bible college and they told me don't go by emotions. Whatever you do, don't let anybody in your church ever know your emotions. Fake it. I said, that ain't going to work for me. So David's story is your story. There wouldn't be a Jerusalem if it were not for David. David himself invented musical instruments. He was a poet and a lover and a man's man, about as athletic as you can get, and that, that killed giants, lions and bears, oh my. He went after the enemies of God. He never lost a battle, not once. So David was a leader among leaders. He was a man's man. He could garner the support and affirmation of mighty men. And I'm telling you, mighty men aren't going to follow a wimpy dude. Mighty men gather mighty men. So David is the New Testament model of manhood. I don't get invited a lot to speak in men's meetings. I don't know why. But I, I do a lot of the ladies' meetings. They, what was it, women on the front line? Yeah, they got me doing all that. But when I do go to the men's meetings, I tell them about David. He was a king, he was, but he was a lover. There was a sensitive, tender part of this man that was, was in touch with his heart, with his emotions. He wasn't shut down. He was present with God continually. And his heart beat after God. He longed for him. No wonder God said, what David built, I will rebuild. What he started, but it's now fallen into ruins. I'm going to blow on it again. I'm going to revisit night and day worship. I'm going to revisit in these last days a canopy, a chuppah, the wedding canopy over my people. I'm going to bring my people into the bridal chamber of Song of Songs, the cloud-filled realm, and there in the trysting place of love, I'm going to mingle myself with them, and two will become one. It's not good for the Son of Man to be alone. And the divine glory is going to rest on a company of men and women that have shed the snakeskin of Adam that have shed the identity issues of I'm this, I'm that. I mean, every time God showed up to anybody in the Bible, they got a brand new identity. He said to Jeremiah, don't say I'm a child. Moses, he went from being a fugitive to being a deliverer. And it was the divine encounter in front of the burning shrub for days, if not weeks. Moses was there in the sand, face down before Almighty God. And Moses had to have his identity shifted. You know how God did it? He said, what's in your hand? The shepherd's staff. He said, throw it down. I'll show you what you're really carrying around with you this whole time. You think it's, your identity is that? Moses tossed it to the ground. It became a serpent. God said, that's what you're carrying with you. Your identity it's not going to be a shepherd, a fugitive, hiding in a desert. 
Now take up that serpent. Take it up. And as he did, it became the rod of Almighty God. Come on, Charleston Heston, Christian Bale, come on. It became this mighty emblem of authority. And God shifted his identity, and he's doing it to you here in Ohio. I'm telling you, it's a new season. You're getting a new assignment. And that necessitates a new identity. It's a lover of God. God has a plan to make you more loving than you want to be. God has a plan to make you more intimate with heaven than in your wildest dreams you ever thought you could be. You're going to live a lot longer than you think. You're going to love a lot deeper than you have ever imagined. And you're going to impact nations with the relationship you're going to have with Jesus. Daybreakers and dawn makers are coming. A generational shift is now upon us. Forget your politics, dude. It's not who's in the White House. It's who's in God's house. And it's coming into the, the sacred chamber of God. I mean, I had people all the time pushing me to, like, politics. I said, <laughs> I mean, how many more elections till you get sick of this thing? I love Jesus. Put it on my tombstone. He loved Jesus. That's all I want to be is a lover of God. I want to be that passionate boiling over pot that you get within a five-mile radius of me. <sighs> Something comes on you that burns. Some of you are going to have encounters tonight. Some of you are going to lay on your pillow and it's going to become a pillar of glory. Your bed is going to be a portal. You put your head down there and you, ah, I'm just going to go to sleep. <laughs> God's going to shock you. Divine encounters are coming. A generation is going to rise up that's been with Jesus. The leadership of the church is about to be handed over to men and women who have seen him, whom their soul loves. And divine encounters are coming. I said, Lord, why are you showing up to all the Muslims? You know, they're getting dreams. They're getting all these encounters. The man in white's coming to them, and Isa is coming. I said, what about us? What about the believers? He said, you're next. Don't worry. I go after first the one. I leave the 90 and 9, and reckless love. Come on, Corey Asbury. And I go after the one. I said, they're the one that's wayward, and I'm going after them. They're actually sons of Abraham anyway. It wasn't for Ishmael, Joseph would still be in that pit. It was Ishmaelites that got him out. God will use some of your enemies to take you to the throne until you say God meant it for good. I think I'm about done. Let me, let me go a minute or two and we'll see. <clears throat> but I really believe this is a new day for you guys. I like this section right here. <laughs> Mrs. Luke, uh, is that you? Mrs. Luke, okay. Not that I could forget, but yeah. You guys are really awesome. Where are you all from? From here? Springfield, Ohio? I know where that is. Dude, wow. You're a worship guy. 
awesome. Give him the harp of David. Give him, Lord, the heart of David. Is that your sister sitting next to you? No, okay, I won't ask. That's all right. Mind my own business, right? <laughs> oh, he put a ring on it. Dude, it's about time. Come on, man. We married up, didn't we? Come on. Kids, Lord, kids, God. Grandparents happy. Even Jesus. Okay, let, let, let's leave with some like theological keep you up at night thinking stuff, all right? All right. When did Jesus know he was God? I don't think it was as an embryo. I don't think it was as a newborn. I don't think it was as a toddler. But there was a day when Jesus got it. It was not the baptism. That was for public. That was for everybody else. You know the, the dove that Noah let out of the ark that never came back? flew over all the patriarchs, all the prophets, all the kings, nowhere to land until Jesus. And that dove came and landed upon a lamb. If you have the nature of the lamb, you get the presence of the dove. But it was before that I was thinking today, why, okay, so we have the birth of Jesus in the Bible, and we have the fact that he, with his, his parents, took him to Egypt, which probably wasn't as long as you think. It could have been a matter of just a few months. So Jesus would, would have not even been a year old when he moved back to Nazareth. But we have that information, but we fast forward all the way to when he's 12, why would God put that one episode, that one episode of Jesus' life, why would he put, of all the things between birth and 30, we only have one glimpse, and it's Jesus saying, I must be about my father's business in my father's house. Jesus had an unveiling. He was unveiled. He knew who he was. At least by the age of 12. You're sitting down? The book of Revelation is the unveiling that God gave Jesus. He now gives to you. This You've missed the verse, first verse. You've missed it, bro. You're looking for like Antichrist, like you want your Antichrist so bad. When I take him from you, people get mad. They, they post naughty stuff on my Facebook. I said, okay, you can keep him. You can keep the Antichrist. But he's not in the book of Revelation. Not even there. Read it. You come back, tell me, where's Antichrist? He's not mentioned. 
in the book of Revelation. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, parenthesis, he had to have a personal unveiling. This is the same thing he gave to Jesus. He's giving to us. So Jesus had a mission, he had a season shift, and he had an identity. And the temptation, what's known as the ordeal of temptation, the testing of Satan in the wilderness of Jesus, was it was not, if you're a miracle worker, turn this stone to bread. It wasn't, if you're a prophet, turn this stone to bread. It's, if you're the son. It was all over his sonship. And so is the testing you've been going through. The day came when David perceived that he was king. That's today for you. Would you stand? Let me pray for you real quick. Then I'm going to hand the microphone over to Pastor Jim. Put your hand over your heart. I can assure you, you have one. Say these words after me. Lord Jesus, I don't know it all. I don't know very much. But I want to go on with you. I want the unveiling of Jesus Christ. I want a new identity for my new assignment in this new season. Unveil yourself in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, before you sit down, there's somebody that has a, uh, it could be Crohn's disease or you have a chronic intestinal, uh, uh, I'm a doctor but not an MD. Um, it, it's a major digestive issue that pre prohibits you from eating certain foods uh, with pain attached when you do. Is that you? Okay, you're going to be healed right now in Jesus' name. Is there anybody else? Go to heaven. You? Okay. Lindsay? Fire. Healing fire. Right into your innards. Somebody else? Yeah, it could be children. Oh, sweetheart. You know what? I prayed for, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting close to 100, and everyone I've prayed for for this issue gets healed. And I had no plan on doing it, but the Lord gave me that word again. Hey, sweetheart. I'm a really nice guy. I won't hurt. How are you? More. Release your glory over her. Put your hand on your tummy, sweetheart. Father, I thank you that she's going to be able to eat. And, uh, and if it's Crohn's disease or related issue, that she's going to be healed of that tonight. And that her testimony will be right up there of the glory that you poured through her in the mighty name of Jesus. Touch her, Lord. Let the fire of healing burn in her life in Jesus' name. Amen. You're so awesome. Have a seat. Man, oh man. <laughs> yeah, actually, last time uh, Brian was here, I got healed of a autoimmune disorder, a food allergy thing that I had for years. And so I think you called out a word of knowledge for Crohn's disease, and I was like, close enough. <laughs> it's not that, but I'm like, close enough. And so, yeah, I got healed that day. So, um, yeah, donuts have never tasted so good. So thank you. <laughs> but now I'm trying not to eat them again. So. All right, well, hey, if we get our ushers come forward, we want to bless uh, Brian. But I don't know about you guys. It just feels like this is an important weekend. You know, it just feels really important. I think God's just setting some things in, in place for us. So very excited about that. So, yeah, if our ushers come forward, there's a couple different ways you can give. Um, we've got a computer chip for your forehead and your wrist. 
is one of those ways. Very exciting technology. Um, there they are up there. Uh, cash check. We've actually on our uh, giving app, we've got Brian Simmons on there. Scroll down to that. You can just give directly that way. And so uh, tomorrow will be 10 o'clock and 6 o'clock, 10 a.m., 6 p.m., and then uh, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., 5 p.m., and then Monday night at 7. So, man, we just get to get immersed in this stuff. Man, I, I encourage you to invite people. I feel like this is really an important weekend. So you can write your checks out to Zion Christian Fellowship. We count this separate. We uh, give it towards Brian, give it all to Brian. And um, so are you going uh, to be doing a book signing at, at all this weekend, Brian? Now that I've said it, are you going <laughs> to... You want to pick it before tomorrow night service? Okay, perfect. Yeah, so come tomorrow, and um, it's always weird signing a Bible. I'm sure, like you know, it's like, you know I've had I've only had like one or two people ask me to sign. I'm like, you know, I didn't write this. So I can't imagine like a Bible translator. How many times you got to sign a Bible? But uh, yeah, <laughs> this is the author of the Bible, Ryan Simmons. And so, um, yeah, so yeah, ushers, go ahead and uh, just get them and just be a blessing to Brian. We want to send them home with no books and a huge blessing of, uh, of generosity. So, again, guys, grab some other people, guys. I really feel like this is an important weekend. And so we are just honored to have uh, Brian and Candace here. And we can't wait to hear about what you dream tonight, Candace. So, so yeah. <laughs> she has eight dreams a night. So, uh, my goodness gracious, it's... Uh, yeah, active sleep. So, all right. Well, as those uh, buckets are going, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. We love you so much. And uh, Lord, we just seal those words in our heart, Lord, that our uh, our pillow will become a pillar, and that our uh, bed will become a what did you say a a portal? Thank you. I knew Mary would know. Our bed would become a portal. And so, Lord, we, uh, we want to encounter you. We know you love us too much to just let us lay there. <laughs> so just come and come and get us, Jesus. Uh, you know what? Just paint, a, just paint a target right on your heart. God, just come and get us. We, uh, we're not hiding. Come and get us. Ali, Ali, Opson free. So we love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, we bless you guys. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 a.m.